Hello, and welcome to Talking Opinions. I am Anthony Livingston Hall. It is arguable that the Nobel Prize is to physics, chemistry, medicine, literature, and peace what the Oscar is to professional acting, namely, the most prestigious award anyone in those fields, or that profession, could ever hope to receive, respectively. Except that I need only cite the hashtag OscarSoWhite, which went viral in 2015, to convey the systemic unfairness that has made that award little more than a racist talisman from the outset. I submit that systemic unfairness has blackened the Nobel Prize in similar fashion, especially in the most popular fields of literature and peace. And, ironically, nothing brought this unfairness into public consciousness, quite like President Barack Obama winning the 2009 Nobel Peace Prize. Of course, most Nobel candidates are already so accomplished. They give the impression of feigning surprise when they finally win, merely to appear polite. Yet, as accomplished as he was, Obama had no reason to feign surprise. Recall that the committee awarded him the prize just nine months into his presidency, and he had no record of peacemaking before running for president. This is why it was so obvious that Obama's prize had nothing to do with anything he had done. Instead, the committee hailed him for capturing the world's attention, giving people hope, and changing the international climate. <laughs> I should note here that I have unquestionable standing as an Obama supporter, having been among the few blacks publicly supporting his presidential campaign when most were still supporting Hillary's. I refer you in this regard to my blog commentary titled It's Time! Run, Obama! Run! from October 24, 2006. But, after reading the way the committee hailed him, even I could not resist mockery which I shared in a commentary titled Obama Awarded Affirmative Action Nobel Peace Prize on October 10, 2009. Among other things, I suggested that the committee was undermining the 2007 prize it awarded Al Gore for combating climate change by awarding Obama this prize just two years later for changing the climate with a bunch of hot air. <laughs> uh, to be fair, though, 
News reports in 2014 quoted Obama's then-Chief of Staff Ram Emanuel saying that Obama himself was mocking the committee behind closed doors at the White House. Obama reportedly felt that the tone-deaf Norwegians awarded him the prize as little more than a PR stunt, which offended him and cheapened it. Except I am constrained to note that Obama did little during the remaining seven years of his presidency to become any more deserving of that prize than he was when he received it. And not to mention that, instead of mocking the Norwegians behind their backs, he could have made a public show of refusing to accept their prize as a matter of principle. Had he done so, Obama would have imbued his presidency with the kind of moral authority even Pope Benedict would have envied. He would also have earned a place on the pedestal, alongside Le Doctor. He is the unsung North Vietnamese negotiator who exposed the vain gloriousness of Nobel laureates like U.S. Secretary of State Henry Kissinger, Palestinian leader Yasser Arafat, and Israeli Prime Minister Yitzhak Rabin by refusing to accept the 1973 Nobel Peace Prize. He refused of his own volition, because the committee was hailing him, like them, for negotiating a peace that was tenuous or pyrrhic at best. Uh, by the way, Jean-Paul Sartre also refused to accept the 1964 Nobel Prize in Literature but that was because he found all literary prizes inherently objectionable. In any event, all of that brings me to one of the great ironies of my life, because it took an English girl in America to introduce me to African literature. The book she gave me which sealed my abiding affection for this genre, was Things Fall Apart by Chinwa Achebe of Nigeria. That the Nobel Committee never awarded him its prize is arguably one of the greatest injustices ever in the world of literature. And I mean no disrespect to Nobel laureates, especially those who won their prizes, despite systemic unfairness, <laughs> or without being used as a PR stunt. Most notable among them, of course, are Gabriela Mistral of Chile, the first person from Latin America to win in 1945, Wole Shoyinka of Nigeria, the first black African to win in 1986. Nadine Godima of South Africa, 
the first white African woman to win in 1991. Derek Walcott of St. Lucia, the first person from the Caribbean to win in 1992. Toni Morrison of the United States, the first black American to win in 1993. And Abdul Razak Gurna of Tanzania, who was reportedly more genuinely surprised when the committee announced him as this year's winner last month than Obama was when it announced him as the winner in 2009. Indeed, it was listening to the literati speak of Gurna without any hint of irony as a man of modest character and accomplishments that inspired this episode. Because I seem to be the only one who thought immediately that the committee awarded him this year's prize, in part as a posthumous nod to Achebe. Again, no disrespect to Gardner, but no less a person than the news anchor for French public broadcaster France 24, betrayed the contrived nature of the Nobel Committee announcing him as the winner. For she reacted to the October 7 announcement, live on air, by exclaiming to her guest, who just happened to be a manager from the American Library in Paris, and I quote, but it wasn't expected. I mean, both of us were caught a little bit off guard. No? <laughs> End quote. But Gardner readily admitted that nobody was more caught off guard than he was, and he wasn't merely trying to be polite. I know better than to delve too much into comparative literature. And so suffice it to know that both writers made the social and psychological effects of colonialism on traditional African values and customs the central theme of their novels. But Achebe's pioneering and provocative body of work is such that overlooking him to award Gardner the Nobel Prize for penetrating narratives on the effects of colonialism is rather like overlooking the late Steve Jobs to award Apple's Tim Cook a Nobel Prize for pioneering advances in technology. To give you a sense of how unpopular this snub had become, consider that the campaign to award Achebe a posthumous Nobel Prize rivaled at times the campaign to free Brittany. And if you think the academic nature of the former meant those involved did not resort to the kind of online trolling and garden-variety protests that characterize the latter, think again. Because mere months after Achebe died in March 2013, no less a person than the aforementioned Nobel laureate and fellow Nigerian, Shoyinka, was already denouncing this campaign. Here is how the Guardian quoted him in a report on May 20, 2013. 
Let us quit this indecent exercise of fatuous complaints, including raising hopes, even now, with talk of posthumous conferment, when you know damned well that the Nobel Committee does not indulge in such tradition. It has gone beyond sickening. It is obscene and irreverent. It desecrates memory. Chinua is entitled to better than being escorted to his grave with that monotonous, hypocritical aria of deprivation's lament, orchestrated by those who, as we say in my part of the world, dye their mourning weeds in a deeper indigo than those of the bereaved. He deserves his peace. Me too. And right now. Not posthumously. End quote. And all the people said, Amen. <laughs> Given that, it's easy to see why some of Achebe's Avengers accused Shoyenka of Pan-African treason for dismissing them with such prideful indignation. But I suspect he was channeling Achebe as only he could. In fact, like his most famous protagonist Oconquo, Achebe took pride in fighting alone. And that's how Shoyenka must have felt all these years defending him against talk of posthumous conferment. But I hope his Avengers find sufficient consolation in the committee awarding Gerna this year's Nobel Prize to end their campaign and let Achebe finally rest in peace. Beyond that, all anyone needs to know to question the credibility of the Nobel Committee is that it did not deem Mahatma Gandhi's non-violent efforts to win independence for Indians worthy of its prize, but deemed Yasser Arafat's violent efforts to secure a homeland for Palestinians eminently so. Not to mention the egg its members are still wiping off their faces for awarding the 1991 Nobel Peace Prize to Aung San Suu Kyi of Myanmar and the 2019 Nobel Peace Prize to Abi Ahmed Ali of Ethiopia, only to watch both preside over their country's descent into genocidal madness, respectively. My heart goes out to the long-suffering people of Ethiopia. I refer you in this regard to commentaries like Despite Life 8 and G8, relief looms as a cruel mirage to millions of Africans dying of starvation on July 21, 2005. And Another African Famine? Nobody cares. Then call me nobody. On May 2, 2014. But it was clear to me 
even before the Nobel Committee awarded Ahmed Ali their Peace Prize, that he intended to lord over Ethiopia in ways that would make the late Emperor Haile Selassie look like a Jeffersonian Democrat. And he has only confirmed my worst fears. By executing a Putin-style crackdown on opposition leaders to ensure he rules for life, and by starving hundreds of thousands and displacing millions with an ill-fated, scorched-earth ethnic-cleansing campaign in the Tigray region of the country. As for Su Chi, I can cite commentaries like Aung San Suu Chi, lording over Myanmar's crimes against humanity on March 10, 2017. Even fellow Nobel laureates now condemning Myanmar Suu Chi as the godmother of ethnic cleansing on September 14, 2017. And UN report. Aung San Suu Kyi, Nobel Peace Laureate, is complicit in genocide on August 28, 2018. But I said all I care to say about her in my podcast episode titled Democracy Icon Aung San Suu Kyi Went to Bed with Military Dogs and... Dot, dot, dot. On March 13, 2021. As indicated earlier, the Nobel Committee takes foolish pride in never revoking any prize, no matter how warranted. But I respectfully submit that Ahmed Ali and Su Chi are living examples of why it would be wise for the committee to reconsider that policy. Meanwhile, apropos of the committee losing all credibility, that can be the only reason I dared to publish Higgs Boson Nobel Prize based more on hope than accomplishment on October 9, 2013. It related to the announcement of Francois Englert of Belgium and Peter Higgs of Britain as winners of the 2013 Nobel Prize in Physics for their theoretical discoveries of how subatomic particles acquire mass, a.k.a. the Higgs boson or God particle. But I greeted that announcement by quipping that I just hope they end up doing more for subatomic discovery than Obama ended up doing for world peace. <laughs> but seriously, I would bet good money that, now, eight years later, 90% of you have no clue what a subatomic particle is let alone what impact the discovery of how it acquires mass has had on your life, if any. Now, here's a fun fact. 
Bob Dylan and George Bernard Shaw are the only two people to have been awarded an Oscar and a Nobel Prize in Literature. Shaw won his Oscar in the Best Screenplay category for Pygmalion in 1939 and his Nobel Prize in Literature in 1925. Dylan won his Oscar in the Best Song category for Things Have Changed in 2000 and his Nobel Prize in Literature in 2016. Yet nothing betrayed the folly of the Nobel Prize, quite like the way Dylan made the committee publicly kowtow to him for months for the honour of awarding him its prize. <laughs> Esquire magazine summed up the farce on October 17, 2016, as follows. Bob Dylan doesn't give a fuck about the Nobel Prize. The Swedish Academy isn't sure he'll show up to the ceremony. Days after winning the 2016 Nobel Prize in Literature, Bob Dylan still hasn't been bothered to acknowledge that he won one of the most prestigious awards on the planet. End quote. In fact, Dylan ended up snubbing the ceremony, but he sent the committee a recorded speech to avoid forfeiting the 18-carat gold medal and $1 million all winners got that year. In other words, unlike Jean-Paul Sartre, who refused the prize on principle, this shyster didn't want their praise, but was happy to take their money. His imperious yet mercenary behavior vindicated why I was never a Dylan fan. <laughs> Frankly, I could never get past his nasal and incomprehensible tonality to appreciate his purportedly poetic lyrics. But I had read enough of his lyrics to know that he was no more deserving of the Nobel Prize in Literature than Obama was of the Nobel Prize for Peace. Not least because I could think of too many writers whose body of work was far more meritorious. In addition to Achebe, the committee's list of egregious oversights includes such notables as Robert Frost, Langston Hughes, James Joyce, Zora Neale Hurston, Philip Roth, James Baldwin, Vladimir Nabokov, J.R.R. Tolkien, W.H. Auden, Jorge Luis Borges, and even Leo Tolstoy. And don't get me started on the infamous sex scandal, which showed that, like systemic unfairness, a shameful legacy of Me Too abuses is reason enough to question the credibility and prestige of the Nobel Prize. This, just as a legacy of Me Too abuses, 
has so notoriously given reason enough to question the credibility and prestige of the Oscar. That's it, and if you liked it, please subscribe. It's free. If you'd like to contact me, I invite you to email anthonyhall279 at gmail.com or use the contact feature on my blog at www.ipjn.com. Thank you for listening and... Until the next Talking Opinions, uh, goodbye.